0: Great, can you hear me? Brilliant. Well, as Sanjay said, I'm Lois. I'm part of the leadership team here. And I've been in Oxford now for 11 years. I came as a student, an Oxford Brookes student, and then never left. And that's partly because, in fact, mostly because of the welcome I received here in this church family. So thank you. Um, I'm also married to Chris, who is the bespectacled man at the back there. There he is. And he is the finest gentleman that ever there was. Ah... So, I'm incredibly excited this morning for two reasons. One is that I'm preaching from the book of Daniel, which is, I don't know if you're allowed to have favourite books, but it is my all-time favourite book. Yes! And uh, obviously, they're all highly recommended, but, um, but Daniel, it's got it all. You name it, it's got it. So, I'm really excited about this. There's loads to learn from that. But also, just as I've been preparing, I have felt my expectation level rise that God is going to break through. And I feel like, I mean, everything I'm about to say has pretty much already come up this morning. Um, Amazing testimonies um, that represent the reality of what it's like living, expecting God to break through. So thank you to those who have um, been brave enough to share already. Um, So this is the third talk in a series about being forged into God's image. And really, it's about God. Working his characteristics into his people over time, and today it's about God being a God of breakthrough, making us a people of breakthrough. So, just in case we're tempted to think that breakthrough only happens in times of revival or when things are easy, along comes the book of Daniel, and as John has already said, it's it's a horrifying context that the Israelites are in. In the, verse, the, the first five verses of the book, it says that the Israelites, they're exiled into a foreign nation called Babylon. And the king of Babylon, who's called Nebuchadnezzar, which is the best name ever, he besieges the holy city of Jerusalem. And he plunders the temple. And the temple was just, just the heart, the heart of the community. It was all of their hope. It was the glory of God. And he takes all of the precious articles and he goes to Babylon and he gives them to his gods in his temple. And it, it's hard for us to imagine what that would have been like. But that was devastating for them. And also Nebuchadnezzar demands that certain men from the Israelite nobility, including Daniel and some others, uh, serve him in in, in his palace, and that uh, involves three years of training, but really that's brainwashing. They're not allowed to speak their language anymore. They have to learn a new language. They have to learn a new history. History is rewritten for them. And they're given new names. They're not even allowed to have their names anymore. So everything they know and love is ripped away from them. And even worse than that they find themselves serving these kings who aren't trustworthy. In fact, it's not just that they're not great. It's that they're bloodthirsty. They're prideful. And they're unpredictable, as we'll see. So they find themselves in this context asking, how on earth do we maintain our distinct identity as the people of God? In this place, in this circumstance, how do we maintain and guard our culture that God has given us in this place? So we might not share the same circumstances as uh, the exile in Babylon, but don't we find ourselves asking that question? Yeah? Increasingly, as religion is viewed in various different ways, but with increased skepticism, don't you just feel sometimes like you've got a split personality? You're like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm all of these things together. How do we maintain our identity and our security as people of God in these circumstances? And the more urgent that question becomes for us, the more urgently we desire and need breakthrough. Not just for our own faith and encouragement, but because God is powerful to change our circumstances. So let's look at Daniel my prayer today is really that, um, that God will reveal the truth of this to our spirits, because knowledge isn't enough, is it? It's, you know, just as Emmanuel was sharing this morning, knowledge that God loves to heal isn't the same as really believing that he loves to heal when your circumstances are a challenge. So if you've got Bibles, turn to Daniel 2, um, but it'll also be on the screen In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. It's really unreasonable. (laughs) Oh, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. See, I'm a reasonable man. "'So tell me the dream and interpret it for me.' "'Once more,' they replied, "'as if trying to pretend they hadn't heard this, "'let the king tell his servants the dream "'and we'll interpret it.' "'And the king answered, "'I am certain that you are trying to gain time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. "'Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. "'If you do not tell me the dream, "'there is only one penalty for you. "'You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, "'hoping the situation will change.' So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. I mean, thats he's literally like, kill all the experts. I don't want to hear from them anymore. All of them. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And just skipping ahead, the king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he goes on to correctly recount the dream and then gives an interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face. So I've got just two points to learn about what God is forging in us. And the first point, really simply, is God is forging us for breakthrough. Emphasis on us. God forges us for breakthrough. And I've produced a little graph just to kind of get to the bottom of what I mean here. Um, Along the bottom is the x-axis. That's right. (laughs) And that is the size of breakthrough. Okay, so from from small, um, so let's just say um, wisdom and tact. Speaking to somebody with wisdom and tact is actually a breakthrough, it is, because it's, it's a feature of the kingdom of God. And another example would be somebody needs to know that they are of value. So telling somebody that they are of value and seeing the light dawn in their eyes, that's breakthrough. So let's not undervalue small breakthroughs, because they often... I mean, the wisdom and tact might have been the reason why Nebuchadnezzar listened to Daniel in the first place. So that's important. And then ranging to something really huge, like the parting of the Red Sea... Okay? or raising an army back to life from the dead. Really big. And Daniel's sort of like, I don't know, two-thirds the way up there in this, in what he's asking for. And then on the y-axis, the likelihood that I will volunteer. Okay? The likelihood I'll volunteer. From extremely unlikely to highly likely. And I don't know if you're with me on this, but I kind of plotted this on the graph, and I feel like... This is where it goes for me. For those listening, I am highly likely to, to volunteer to use wisdom. And I'm highly likely to volunteer to tell, tell somebody that they have value. And then it really quickly tapers off. And at that point, I sort of, when it gets too big, I sort of start saying, God, you, in your, you can do this and sort of back away, you know? Because you're like, oh, I believe it's possible, God, but Ooh. Yeah. So just to give a small example of this, God, God, so God wants to break through in our workplaces, yes? And not just the worthy workplaces, the businesses that exist just to make money. God wants to break through in those places as well. Okay? And in my work recently, I've heard an increased number of people talking about the fact that they're working at weekends. They're working upwards of 60-hour weeks. And this is a slightly new culture that's creeping into my work uh, under new management. And it's not okay. It's not a feature of the kingdom of God. Um, We're not supposed to live to work, although work is good, but not at the expense of well-being. So I've got three options. One is that I listen and sympathize and do nothing. You know, I say, oh, yeah, oh, that's really hard. I'm really sorry about that. And the other option, second option, is that I pray. And I say, look, I recognize that this isn't the right culture, Lord. Would you change the culture of my workplace? And that's a really good thing to do. But the better option is the third one, which is not only do I pray that, I also say, God, I represent you in this place. What do you want me to do? And that probably involves a bit of a risk for me because that would involve me at some point talking to the directors. Yeah? That's what I mean by volunteering. And this is what Daniel does. Interestingly, he's got the choice to do nothing. He's got the choice to pray and leave it with God, but he volunteers. And he doesn't doesn't even ask God whether God wants him to do it. He just, he just goes straight to the murderous, unhinged king and says, give me time, I will interpret the dream for you. What has he grasped that makes him so confident that God is going to use him? And what would it take for us to see an impossible need for breakthrough like that and to put up our hands? Ah! Like, what's the answer? I don't know. I don't know the answer. It's huge. It's, it's, it has to be revelation from God. It has to be. God help us. I've been asking myself this question lately because as a church, we've, one of the future focus things that Sanjay mentioned earlier is that we believe God is calling us to start a training school. We're calling it a school of the spirit. But essentially this, you know, how do we as Christians take steps of courage to see um, God break through in our lives and in our contexts? And one of the things I've come across is this diagram, we a very diagram-heavy this morning. Um, and it's this. You see, um, you see something that's impossible. And the astrologers in this story are at this point, okay? They say, there is no one who can do this. The gods do not live among humans. And the thing that moves you from believing that it's possible is revelation about God isn't it? Because, you know, when you read scripture or you hear testimonies, you start to believe. You become a Christian, you say, okay, all things are possible with God. He does these things. He's done these things before. He will do them again. But it's one thing to believe that it's possible for God, but then also believe that it's possible for you, possible in your situation, in your family, in the things you're praying for through you. So moving from impossible to possible but not for me involves revelation about God. And what is it that moves you from feeling that it's possible but not for you to actual expectation that he can and will use you powerfully in your life and in your context? And that is revelation about who I am. Okay? That's revelation about who I am. Galatians two twenty says, "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me." That's something about who we are. Have we had revelation that that's true? Galatians four seven says, "So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir." An heir, an heir of Almighty God. There are all sorts of reasons why we can live actually all of our Christian lives just in that top right quadrant. All sorts of reasons why we discount ourselves. And I felt um, God wanted me to say this morning, all of you. All of you, all of you. And there are some people who need to really hear that. God says, All of you, all of you. Doesn't matter how many times you've been rejected, doesn't matter how shy you are. All of you are heirs, all of you will see breakthrough. And the other thing that's dealt with here is comparison. This is really key because comparison, I think, is something that holds us back from expectation. Have you had the experience where you heard somebody else's story of breakthrough and it actually doesn't encourage you? Doesn't encourage you. I'm not talking about disappointment here because disappointment expressed and processed with God is healthy. When we pray for things and we don't see them happen, we feel disappointed. That's what we should feel like. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about remembering our disappointments. I'm talking about when we hear something, some breakthrough somewhere else, and we think, that is not fair. I am impoverished. And the revelation about who we are says we're not impoverished. We're heirs. We're children of God. He loves us. He has blessing to pour out on us. So when we hear a testimony from somebody else, our reaction instead is, Ah, yes, you've done that in them. I wonder what you'll do in me. I just want to pause at this point because I feel like this this bit is quite significant. And it would be a bit remiss to talk about Revelation and then not give the Holy Spirit a moment to... to to actually reveal things to us. And so can I just ask you, this is very cheesy. (laughs) Can I just ask you to put your hand just on your heart for a second? And this is just a sort of symbol of what we're saying, which is we need to move some of these things from our heads to our hearts, because when they're in our hearts, they'll affect our behavior and what we actually do. Just be aware of his presence. Holy Spirit, we know these things are true, but we need to really believe them. And Lord, we're going to declare some words together in a second, and as we do, I just pray that you would come in power. So let's have a little read of what's on the screen there. And if you want to, we're going to declare them together. Okay? Okay, let's do it. Our God is a God of powerful breakthrough. He calls me his beloved child. He has put his spirit in me. Christ is in me. Therefore, he makes me powerful. I am a powerful person. By grace, I bring breakthrough wherever I am. Amen. That's true. And then, what is it that moves you from a place of expectation? to Daniel's experience, where it's like the culture of his life. You know, the small and big breakthrough. And the first thing is risk. You aren't going to lead somebody to Christ unless you talk to somebody about Jesus. You won't know if a word of knowledge is true unless you share it and risk getting it wrong. And risk is like, it's supposed to be forged into our being. We're a people of risk. We're a people of adventure. This shouldn't be something that makes us feel afraid. And if we feel afraid, we probably need to go back. And say, you can do this, God, and I can do this, God, because I'm in you and you love me. And also here is perseverance in prayer. And and also processing the mystery of unanswered prayer well. Because unanswered prayer, not processed well, can really actually... Crash us out of this altogether. I want to encourage you with this story of Daniel because, in the story, they pray together. He 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 takes this step of courage on his own, but but he stands together with his friends um, to pray. And and obviously, they see an answer to prayer almost immediately. But there's a bigger context here. Um, if you have Bibles, turn to chapter six, and I'll show it on the screen as well. Um, By the point of chapter 6, Nebuchadnezzar is long gone, and it's King Darius that's on the throne. Names just keep on coming this time, don't they? And there's been a king in between. So Daniel's an older man at this point. And there's another threat. There's a decree that means that Daniel will inevitably be thrown into a den of lions, And have a look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. I just found it really moving, this idea that Daniel's windows open towards Jerusalem. This is this sort of silent context of the whole book of Daniel, is that he's arranged his home. He may even have built his home so that it points towards Jerusalem. So here's the thing. He might be miraculously freed from the lion's den, and he is, and he might receive these amazing revelations from God, but there is one prayer for breakthrough that Daniel isn't seeing. He wants to go home. He just wants to go home. His heart is in Jerusalem, and he's arranged his whole life to quietly, persistently point towards Jerusalem. It doesn't say what he prays for, but it's a big hint. I mean, the fact that it mentions that he prays with thanksgiving gives a sense of the, the, the kind of nature of the prayer. It's a prayer of faith, it's a prayer of hope, but it's a persistent prayer. I want to go home, I want my people to be restored, I want the temple to be raised up, And I want you to be glorified, God. So he doesn't let the longing and the disappointment of that get in the way of the breakthrough that he sees day by day. So, In the life of Daniel, we see that breakthrough is something that happens even while we persist and persevere for other things. Perseverance in prayer is something that is forged into our nature as Christians. I just wanted to ask, um, what is your open window pointing towards? Um, it could be something that you, are, that you are persevering in prayer for. But also there's something about this window being a perspective. You know, the perspective of heaven. Lord, all things are made new. And they're not being made new right now. But that's my perspective. What's your window pointing towards So, Daniel doesn't get to go home, okay? He doesn't get to go home. He doesn't get that breakthrough that he wants in the way that he wants it. But that doesn't mean that Daniel's perseverance is unanswered. Uh, So, in, in chapter 7, verse 13... He speaks of a vision he receives in the night. He says, "'In my vision at night I looked, "'and there before me was one like a son of man "'coming with the clouds of heaven. "'He approached the Ancient of Days "'and was led into his presence. "'He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power.'" All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. And the tense changes. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's Jesus. That's his rebuilt temple. That's the restoration of Jerusalem. That's the dominion that will never end. Like... Maybe we are persevering in prayer for something big. I think the story of Daniel, hopefully, will encourage you to keep going. But I also want to encourage you to ask the question, you know, as I pray, as I wait, what is God going to show me I was really encouraged recently. I haven't asked them whether I can say this. Um, but I went to go and visit uh, Keith and Eileen, who are an amazing couple that we, that we love dearly as a church. They're part of the leadership team. And Eileen has cancer that she is fighting. And I saw them recently, and I was nervous about going to see them. Because I thought, well, I'm not going to have anything I can say. And they were just full of the Holy Spirit. And there would, something had happened that week in them. God had just just come and it was humbling because it's not, it's not like there was anything I could have said that would have sounded twee, but when the God of heaven revealed something to them, it was like they couldn't contain it. What is God going to show you in your perseverance? So that's God forges us for breakthrough, to take steps of courage and to persevere in prayer. And then this is my last point, which isn't as long. Breakthrough is for God's glory. So back to chapter two. When Daniel receives the dream and its interpretation from God, he doesn't go straight to Nebuchadnezzar. The first thing he does is give glory to God. He says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. There's this is incredible prayer of worship. And when he does go to the king, he acknowledges that the interpretation belongs to God. He says, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I felt this was a bit of a reminder to us today simply to make sure that our gratitude response is proportionate to what God does. And I say proportionate because you know we can't we can't be grateful enough. But I but, but I choose the word deliberately because you might be like me where you pray for something and you see an answer and you're not sure if it's God or not. And you kind of Somewhere in the sort of philosophical musing, the gratitude response is gone, because gratitude is an expression of faith as well. And I I was really encouraged by, um, by Jez and by Bex this morning, because that's exactly what we saw just there, that actually it takes courage to be grateful to God for something when you're actually not sure what he's doing, and you're not sure what's going to come next. But he deserves, as Beck so brilliantly declared, he deserves glory for it all. So even in the book of Daniel, even the bloodthirsty kings of Babylon give glory to Daniel's God. Uh, When when Daniel is freed from the lion's den, it says that um, King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. I mean, that's an enormous address book, isn't it? (laughs) All the peoples of all the land. And he said, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. This is amazing. He is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And recognize that phrase in Daniel's vision is repeated here. This is a prophetic act of worship It says, he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And this man doesn't even consider God to be his God. And he's sending a letter to everyone he knows in the entire world to ensure God's fame and renown. How much more should we, who are heirs of God, give God the glory when he deserves it, and he always deserves it? I can't remember the last time I properly whooped and cheered God. I manage a sort of heartfelt thank you and a polite applause every now and then. And sometimes we can be reluctant to testify as well, because for all sorts of reasons, it might be embarrassing, we think it's only a small thing that's happened, or that other people might think we're glorifying ourselves. Yeah? Personally, I want to hear it, because when, when I hear that God has broken through, It's not just about me being personally encouraged. It's about an entire room giving God the glory for what he deserves. And also, gratitude leads to more breakthrough. This isn't strictly biblical, okay? But I wouldn't be surprised if the level of breakthrough we see isn't in some way linked to the amount of gratitude we express to God when we see it. Yeah. If nothing else, gratitude helps us to meditate on what God has done and increase our faith for more. So let's do it. Let's give God the glory. Is there anything that he's done recently that's just coming to mind? You think, oh, I didn't thank him for that. Or I didn't thank him in a way that's proportionate to actually what, what happened.